welcome to Inspired Island, where every episode we sit down with someone living an inspired life here on Vashon Island in Puget Sound. From world-class artists and musicians to chefs and business owners, our little rural island has it all. I'm your host, Grace McRae, a new full-time Vashon Island resident, and thank you for joining me on this journey to discover why Vashon is such an inspired island. And hello, everyone. Uh, Now, today's guest is somebody I've been hoping to get on the show for a while now. We are lucky enough to have Bruce Hallman in the studio. Welcome, Bruce. Good to be here. And Bruce is a very well-known historian and educator here on Vashon Island. He's authored many publications on Vashon's history, including a book called A Brief History of Vashon Island, which is a narrative history of the island, and also co-authored Vashon Mori Island Images of America, which is a photographic history of the island. He's also part of the team that has been producing a fantastic documentary series called Vashon Then and Now, which you can find online. And I can definitely vouch for uh, (laughs) that it's worth a watch. And Bruce doesn't only study Vashon's past. He's also very active in our community here and now, being part of many organizations and events here on the island. To kick things off, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your personal history before we dive into Vashon's (laughs) history. Sure. Um, I was born in Washington, D.C., just outside of Washington, D.C., and lived there as a kid until I was about nine years old. So my dad was a civilian with the Navy during World War II, and I was born during World War II. Uh, So we happened to be in D.C. And as a kid growing up in D.C., I mean, you don't realize how magical a city it can be until you get away from it. You know, or if you've never been there, it's worth a visit because it really is it just encompasses so much of what's America. Um, you know, the Washington Monument, the Capitol, the White House, and, you know, despite current residents, those things will change in the future. And, you know, the memorials, uh, the museums, the art galleries, I mean, it's just an incredibly dense place to be in terms of, of appreciating who we are as a nation. And so I grew up there as a, as a little kid, and we'd go in to the museums, we'd go to concerts at Watergate and the Capitol Steps and that kind of thing. And and when I was a little kid, they still had streetcars before they'd torn them all up and built the freeways. And, and so it was relatively easy to get around even for a kid. But then uh, comes the big traumatic change. We moved to Panama City, Florida, which is up in the panhandle of Florida, so northwest Florida, which is often called the Redneck Riviera. I mean, it's, it's very, very Trump country, and it's it's very conservative. And when I moved there in the mid-1950s, schools were still segregated. Uh, in fact, schools were segregated until I graduated in 1961 from high school. I, I went to a segregated uh, high school. And fascinating, uh, you don't realize that kind of stuff until you, you sort of step away from it. Because sort of like the idea that, that it takes an unusual fish to realize it's in water. Um, you, you grow up with that culture and yet then you realize that, wow, you know, because I would get on the school bus, drive within two blocks of the black high school to go, go past it to go to the white high school. And it's just sort of like, man, it's hard to believe that that ever existed. But it still exists in places and, and it's still there's still people in the United States who would like to see it go back to that and and that's unfortunate but but growing up in dc in in a very diverse kind of culture and then moving to a very homogeneous white very segregated culture 
was a shock, you know, as a kid. And I think it's one of the things that helps you grow up. Mm. You, it's like travel. When you get out of your, your shell and you see the world through different eyes, you, you have an appreciation for what is and what could be in the world. And was the move uh, instigated by a job change from your father? Yeah, yeah, basically. He was an electronic engineer working with underwater sounds. So he, he mm. worked in anti-submarine stuff and, and radar and things like that during the war. And then in the 50s, they opened a research station at Panama City, okay. which is now where they train all the SEALs. You know, they've got a diving tank and all that sort of stuff. But at that time in the 50s, it was just a small Navy base that was expanding into a research facility. And so he went down there as, as sort of the director of research. And, and did you have siblings? I do. I have a twin brother. No um, way. Yeah, cool. which is fascinating. It's interesting once you... Once people find out you have a twin, it's amazing how many people are twins. <laughs> there, there, are, there are a lot of us around, but it's an interesting way to grow up. Uh, you grow up with somebody who's really a soulmate in, in, in the true meaning of that word. I mean, you, you know, you sort of complete each other's sentences. You grow up sort of understanding somebody at, at a level you very seldom encounter later in life. Um, and a lot of twins, I mean, there's tons of twin studies out there, but lots of twins don't develop language until late because they develop their own language between the two of them. Nobody uh, else can understand yeah. them, but they can understand each other. But growing up as a twin was just fascinating to me in, in retrospect. And uh, he now lives in Virginia. He he taught at William and Mary. He's an economist. And so we, we, we talk occasionally, but we're, we're on the other sides of the country, so we don't see each other as much. But what's fascinating about that is as soon as you get together, it's like everything disappears. It's like you've never been apart. <laughs> That's incredible. Stuff. Yeah, it is. And, and I do have an older sister who lives in Atlanta. Um, she was three years older. And so it was two against one, mm. <laughs> as you can imagine. And growing up, were you interested in history? Yeah. I, our father was sort of a, an amateur historian. Okay. I mean, we visited every Civil War and Revolutionary battlefield in the country <laughs> while I was young. I mean, we'd do road trips and weekend trips, and we'd do camping trips in the summer, and we'd always end up at national parks and battlefields. And and so it just, you sort of got imbibed with a sense of history. And and then living in D.C. and going to the museums and, and the, you know, the, the historic sites and the, the government buildings. And, I mean, you just sort of grow up with this appreciation of the past. Uh, I mean, some people talk about the heavy hand of the past because the past can sort of constrain us. But at the same time, it gives us a sense of who we are. And I think that's what drew me to history as a, as a profession, um, sort of trying to understand who we are, how we got to be the way we are, and, and what the potentials are. Because like any history, um, you know, no society is perfect. Every society has flaws and has things that can be improved, things that are working well. And it's sort of identifying those and sort of seeing them in a perspective and understanding that the past is truly a foreign country. Um, I mean, it's hard to judge the past with the values of today. Uh, and most historians... I think, argue that you really need to understand the past in its own terms. Mm. Uh, I mean, you, you go back and you look at what we did with Native Americans, what Americans did with slavery, what Americans did with immigrants groups. All through our history has been abominable. But when you put it in the context, you understand 
why it was abominable and why people felt justified. And then you can judge them in terms of, well, that was wrong. But at the same time, it's important to understand why they saw it as right. They didn't see themselves as being wrong. Right. It's like the guys, the, the guys, mostly guys, but, but the people who came here to Vashon and cut down the trees, they didn't come here to destroy the island. They came here to make homes. They came here to, to build a future. They came here to sort of provide for their families. Uh, and in the process, they destroyed this magnificent old growth forest that Vashon once was, but not with malicious intent. You know, and so it's important, I think, to look at the past in, in terms of who the past is, but also then be able to make judgments and say, we don't need to do that or we shouldn't do that. Both understand other perspectives from the past, but also yeah. learn from them. <laughs> it's like traveling with to, into different cultures. Yeah. I mean, they do things differently. And it's not doesn't mean it's, it's good or bad. It's different. You know, and understanding the differences is, I think, critical to becoming a full human being. And you touched on the fact that history has become a career for you. Mm -hmm. Did you see that as being your career path when you were pretty young, or is it something that kind of came up later on? It, it's interesting. You know, you, you come to turning points in your life. And I came to one when I graduated undergraduate school. I went to Stetson University in Florida, liberal arts college, very similar to UPS, PLU, that kind of, of small 1,500, 2,000 student liberal arts college, uh, which was an incredible experience. I mean, if you have a chance to go to a small liberal arts college, there's literally no place to hide. I mean, most of the classes had six or seven people in them. And wow. it's sort of like, you're not sitting on the back row with 300 students. You know, you're sort of like, oh, you're online. You got you to gotta be there and you got to be present. And, and so that was fascinating. But I graduated undergraduate school. And I came to this point, I had three sort of offers, if you will, in front of me. One, I applied to go in the Peace Corps, and I had an assignment to go to Kansas to train to go to India to do water projects mm. uh, in the Madras area. I'd taken the Foreign Service exam, so I had an opportunity to go into the Foreign Service. And then I got a full-ride fellowship at the University of Texas in the American Studies Department. Uh, and it's sort of like, wow, I, I think back and I think how different my life would have been if I'd taken the other choice. I took the choice of which was safe uh, to go to the University of Texas and start a Ph.D. program. Uh, and I just think back, wow, if I'd gone in the Peace Corps and gone to India in two years and, you know, all the friends I have that have been in the Peace Corps. And I mean, they're transformative experiences. Mm. If I'd gone in the Foreign Service, I might be a whistleblower today. You never know. <laughs> So it's it's just it's interesting to look at your own history and reflect on it and re recognize the fact that you're the person you are because of the decisions you made in the past and life would have been very very different. Definitely, yeah. Those those major sort of forks in the road and exactly. you, you decide right. A or B and it can totally change the rest of your oh, life. Exactly. Yeah. So take me to Texas. What was life like in Texas for well, you? Well, it was, I arrived in the fall that they won the national championship in football. Ah. <laughs> so in Texas, football, football is big in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, but I was there for uh, five years. Um, and it was fascinating because I went to the University of Texas when it had about 20,000 students. I left, you know, four and a half years later 
it had 45,000 students. Wow. So it was the baby boom really hit the university systems in the late 60s and early 70s when I was in graduate school there. And so it was it was fascinating. I mean, they were just struggling to get people to teach classes. So lots of opportunities for, for fellowships and TAs and that kind of thing. So I had started my PhD there. I ended up moving to St. Louis for a year to teach in St. Louis and then to Norman University of Oklahoma for a couple of years and then moved out here in 1973 and then went back to the University of Washington and finished my PhD at the University of Washington. So these sort of things that, uh, as we talked about earlier, you come to these turning points in your life and it takes off in different directions. During your PhD program, did you have a special focus of your research? I did. I did my, (laughs) don't laugh, but I did my, my PhD dissertation on film history. So I did a study of uh, a genre study. So I compared cowboy movies, traditional Western movies, the very male oriented, action oriented, you know, action speak louder than words. It's about exclusion. You, you kill the bad guys. You know, it's about struggle. And I compared that with a genre identified as the education genre sort of goodbye, Mr. Chips, you know, Dead Poet Society. Um, That's a very feminine genre. It's really about inclusion. It's about emotions. It's about words count. Uh, It's about feelings. And it's about inclusion. I mean, education is about taking young people and, and making them a part of a culture. Whereas Westerns are very, very exclusionary. You know, it's good guys, bad guys, you know, sort of black very and white, yeah. black and white and, you know, white hat, black hat, you know, and very violent. Whereas education genre as a f- film genre as, as in general, very peaceful. I mean, it's really about education. I feel like I didn't really write a dissertation. I just got to a lot of, watch a lot of movies and write about it. <laughs> so, so it was fun. It was actually one of the few fun dissertations I've ever experienced. <laughs> Most really people cool. are struggling, struggling, struggling. And, you know, and I, and I just, I had a lot of fun with it. So. And are you still a movie buff? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we're going to go see Downton Abbey tonight. Nice. <laughs> I can't, can't wait to see it. We watch the whole series. And, and my wife is just in love with Downton Abbey. <laughs> so she, she, she can't wait to see the movie. So, yeah. But yeah. It's, and, and now it's just so fascinating. Uh, with the streaming services, I mean, you can get movies that you just never could see before, uh, or you'd have to trace them down and you'd have to send away and have a you know, DVD mailed to you or whatever. Now they're all streamable. So it's just yeah. sort of like, I mean, it's like being in a, in a toy chest. So you mentioned that you came to the area in the 70s. Mm-hmm. What, why did you come to this area? We came out here... Um, Basically, my wife had grown up here in Seattle. Um, we came out here on a road trip. I mean, I think back, it's sort of like, man, how classic 1960s, 70s were. We, we had a Volkswagen camper van. Nice. You know, and, and we'd taken off for basically for about four months. I'd had a research um, grant to go up to the FDR library in, in Hyde Park, New York. And so I'd driven up there, and then she flew up and met me, and then we drove through New England and then sort of down the coast and, and back and visited my folks in Florida and her folks in Houston, and then came out through the Grand Canyon, the Southwest, came up the, the Sierras and the Cascades and ended up in Seattle, visited friends of hers, went to Vancouver where one of her childhood friends was living. And it's just the moment I drove into Puget Sound, it was just like, 
man, I am home. Really? It just, yeah. And I think it traces back to the kind of experience as a kid camping, going into the Blue Ridge Mountains. We did big trips out to the Rockies and across the Great Plains. And I mean, the mountains here, the water, you know, I've always been fascinated by water. I grew up in Chesapeake Bay and Ocean City, Atlantic City, places like that. And, and I drove into Puget Sound, spent the first night at Saltwater State Park over near Des Moines, saw my first banana slug, which is a, a huge vibe. I think, man, this is a place I want to live. <laughs> you got mountains, you got waters, you got banana slugs. What could be better, right? <laughs> I didn't know banana slugs could be the main selling point, but that's really You never cool. know, right? <laughs> if you've never seen one. Yeah, totally. And where did you meet your wife? Um, I've actually been married twice now. I met my, my first wife I met at the University of Texas. Okay. She was a student there. Um, she had grown up here, and then her father was a pilot for Pan Am and had been oh, killed wow. in a crash going to Hawaii. Oh, so gosh. her family, her, her mother had moved back to Houston where her brother was. And so CR had grown up, um, had gone through high school in Houston, and then, uh, but had always wanted to move back here. So we met at Texas and then moved back here and, and moved to Vashon. And it's sort of like, it was one of those serendipitous kind of things. We were looking for a place to move in the Puget Sound region, and we're looking at the map, didn't know much about it, had been here once, and looked at it and said, hey, man, this place is right in the middle of everything. <laughs> you know, so you can get to Seattle, you can get to Tacoma, you can get to Bremerton, you can, you know. And so we said, well, let's move to Vashon. And did you like it right away? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, uh, again, you know, I grew up sailing as a kid in Panama City, you know, grew up on the water. We, you know, had ski boats and fishing and, and sailing and stuff. And here, man, woo, you know, you're right. Quartermaster Harbor. It's just one of the best sailing places in, in Puget Sound because there's there's always wind, almost always wind in Quartermaster Harbor. And it comes from four different directions in the same day. <laughs> you know, so it really, you learn to sail in Quartermaster Harbor. And then just, you know, hiking. And we did a lot of hiking in the mountains, a lot of camping, a lot of backpacking. You know, it's just, it's a paradise. I mean, it really is. You, very few places can you live on the water or close to the water and in less than an hour be, you know, at 6,000 feet hiking in the mountains. And a major city right across yeah, the water, exactly. too. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, just, uh, so it really is a fascinating sort of location, which makes Vashon, I mean, a lot of people talk about Vashon as being very unique, and, and in some ways it is. In some ways it's like any other small town, but I think the combination of where it's located, being close to Seattle and Tacoma, and, and yet being very rural and being isolated by ferries. We, we have our own gatekeepers, if you will, with the ferry system. Um, it becomes this very interesting gated community. When you arrived to Vashon, I'm sure you were interested in the history of the, of the place, but mm -hmm. what, were there any books that you, like how accessible was information about Vashon's history when you arrived here? Not particularly. Um, the Van Alinda history of Vashon, which was written in 1937, was available. And it had been reprinted by Shorey's Books in Seattle, which was an old line Pacific Northwest bookstore. Uh, and so that was available. But, you know, Van Alinda was a newspaper guy and had started the first newspaper here on Vashon in the 1890s, you know, oh, wow. a, a monthly uh, newspaper that they published for a couple of years. 
and then he just sort of took newspaper accounts largely, and it's it's sort of a when you read his book, it's very um, very pedantic in the sense that so and so moved here in this year, and so and so moved here in this year, and they had you know they settled here, and uh, you know there's very little analysis, very little sort of of interpretation of why things happened the way they did. But it's still, I mean, it was the first history of Vashon, and it's a fascinating sort of look into the mindset of the 1930s. Mm. I mean, in the very first couple pages, he dismisses the native people on Vashon in one sentence and basically said there, there were never any permanent residents here, and they were the lowest form of humans on the planet, and they just wandered around. You know, it's sort of like, well, when you start understanding, I mean, there were there were eight villages around Quartermaster Harbor. There were probably 600 to 800 full-time residents here on the island at contact or pre-contact. You know, so it was a very self-sufficient, thriving Native community here on Bashan. And yet that pioneer mentality sort of like you just want to dismiss it. Because if you recognize they were here, then you have to recognize that you took their land. Mm, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So. And how long have native people lived on Vashon? Like, do we it, have any idea of when the first sort of human establishment was on Vashon? We we don't exactly. I mean, we we can we can extrapolate some things. I mean, there have been. Clovis points um, mm. have been found on Vashon. Whether these Clovis points were brought here 100 years ago or 9,000 years ago, hard to know. Interesting. But at the same time, uh, there's a major Clo- Clovis hunting site. Clovis is a type of spe- spearhead that's named after Clovis, New Mexico, where they were first found. Uh, and they were used to hunt mastodons um, and, and woolly mammoths. So big, big game. And these um, heads. There was a big, there's a big site over at Squim, and there's another big site near Yakima. If you draw a line between the two, it comes right across Vashon. Uh, now, whether they would have come through Vashon right. or not, you don't know. But my suspicion is that there were probably very early hunters, nomadic hunters coming through the area, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand years ago. I mean, after the glaciers had disappeared, once it had sort of, of, of recovered from the glaciers and begun to become populated as, as sort of, not woodlands, it didn't become forest until about four to 5,000 years ago. Before oh, that, okay. there was a intercene sort of heating period. So it was largely like Northern California, you know, outside of San Francisco, sort of open plains and, and grasslands and that oh. kind of stuff, which would have been ideal hunting for big a big game like that. And there have been mastodon tusks and teeth found on Vashon. So, Crazy. you know, whether they were pre-glacier or post-glacier, I mean, it's hard to know because none of those things were sort of excavated in, in sort of an archaeological way. So we don't have any real time sense of it. Uh, but the fact that they're here, you know, gives you some mm. indication that there could have been nomadic hunters coming through here eight, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand years ago. In terms of populations living here, um, sort of the original Coast Salish people were largely river-based and uh, originally game hunters for land animals, you know, elk and deer and things like that. About four to three to four thousand years ago, they begin to, begins to transform into more of a water-based culture. 
and by about 2,500 years ago, it becomes what we know today as Coast Salish culture. And, and those dates are very rough, and it's hard to sort of pinpoint, you know, when it's this and when it's that. But within that four or 5,000-year span, there's certainly people living on Vashon mm. uh, and certainly establishing villages uh, and building a very, very successful uh, culture here um, that was just literally overturned within a couple of years, you know. They were removed as part of the Puget Sound Indian War and and basically never came back as as full-time sort of permanent residents and owners of the land. The land was was sort of of deeded to the federal government and the Medicine Creek Treaty. And then Native people continue to come back to the island and and a number come back and actually buy land after they sell their land on the reservation. But you never get a very big Native population back on Vashon. And, and even today, 2010 census, I think there's around 250 Native people living on Vashon. Okay. Two are Coast Salish. All the rest are either Alaska Natives or California, Eastern Washington, Cherokee, you know, from all over. Um, basically, what, what demographers would talk about is urban Indians, Indians who have moved into urban areas from all over the place, but very few Coast Salish live full-time on Vashon. Right. Now, more and more are moving back, and particularly Puyallup tribal members who have roots on Vashon are moving back and buying land, but most don't live here full-time at this point. Well, the Puyallup tribe has done, has worked together with the museum and with Laurie Tucker, Raina Holtz, uh, who did an exhibit on the native people of Vashon about four or five years ago now. Um, and and really, has we've established some very good working relationships with the Puyallup tribe and trying to recapture that history of uh, where the village sites were, the, you know, the number of people that lived here, the kind of resources they used. And uh, and again, we're, it's a um, little divergent. We're working on an exhibit right now that will open next June at the museum called Wild Wonder, uh, a journey through the natural history of Vashon Mori Island. And one of the things we're working with Bianca Perla and the Vashon Nature Center, the Land Trust, to put this exhibit together. And one of the things we're looking at is the impact of humans on the island. Oh, that'll be uh, interesting, and, yeah. And sort of that, that the, the footprint, because the native people live here, and they have a significant impact, but the footprint is relatively small compared to what happens with the logging, the farming, the mining, uh, and then the commuting kind of culture we have today. So it's kind of fascinating work to try and put piece that story together in a way that makes sense and that has a real narrative stream to it. Totally. The the human impact must be very interesting to look look back in time and see how that's evolved. It's changed, yeah. I mean, it's changed from, uh, I mean, the early settlers were largely intent on just making a living. I mean, the big four, what, what Carlos Schwante is a historian at uh, Washington State and now at Idaho called the big four, fishing, farming, logging, and mining, sort of drove the economy of the Pacific Northwest into the 20th century and, and for Vashon into the, into the 1950s and 60s. It wasn't until the post-war period that you began to get commuters on the island for... Really? I mean, you have a few, but for a large part, up until World War II, there's not a lot of people commuting off of Vashon. I mean, people go to the city for all kinds of things, but very few commuters, what today we would call commuters, who live here and work in the city. A lot of summer commuters, you know, they bring their families out for the summer and have houses at Manzanita or Magnolia or Liza Bueller or wherever. 
um, and have summer homes or, or tent camps, you know, platform tent camps, that kind of thing. And, you know, literally, I mean, the families would move out here as soon as school was out and they would live here and the dads would go back and work in town and come out on the weekends. And then come September when school starts, pack everything up mm -hmm. back to the city, you know. Right. And you still have some of that, but not nearly as much as it was, even in the 70s when I moved here. I mean, the island population would double in the summer. Incredible. Yeah. And before the rise of, you know, family automobiles, mm -hmm. I, I've heard that Vashon used to be a little bit more decentralized than it is right now. Like right now, we sure. just have a very one town center and mm -hmm. that's where right. pretty much all of the commerce oh, happens right. Yeah, and right. yeah. Um, activities. Could you explain a little bit about what it used to look like? Yeah, I mean, it, it, Vashon used to be a water-based community. And so, I mean, there were 32 ferry docks around the island. So no matter where you lived on the island, you were within a 10 or 15 minute walk of a ferry dock. Uh, <laughs> and each ferry dock pretty much had a store, a post office, a community hall, a church, and, and houses. It was like a string of pearls around the island, if you will. I mean, all these little ferry docks and all these little communities. I mean, I love telling this story because it was easier to get from Liza Beulah to Ellisport, you know, to cross the island. It was easier to get on a boat that took you to Tacoma, change a boat and to a boat that was coming up the east side and to get off at Ellisport than it was to get across the island. <laughs> there were no roads. You, you were walking on trails or you were riding horseback. And so it was easier to just hop on a, on a steamer and, and get across the island than to try and actually go across the island. And that doesn't change until the 1920s and 30s when, when really serious road construction starts on the island. So very decentralized. I mean, there were, I'm trying to remember the number, but there were 32 ferry docks and now we have two. Yeah. You know, there were, um, I think, 13 school districts. Now we have one. There were 15 or 16 community stores. Now we have basically Vashon. We have the Mingle Minute Center and we have the Burton store. But there were, you know, stores all over the island. Mm. Um, you know, so that's that kind of sort of story of centralization, consolidation that takes place really beginning in the 1910s and 20s, so that by the 1940s and 50s, uh, post-World War II, we're basically similar in that sense of what we are today. Um, but Vashon, and, and I find this fascinating, a couple of fascinating things about Vashon. Vashon had the only paved road on any Puget Sound island until after World War II. But King County paved the road from center to the North End Ferry Dock, built out of concrete by Henry Kaiser. And that was the only paved road on Vashon and on any other island until really? after World War II. And most of the roads on Vashon weren't paved until the 1950s and 60s. And is uh, that original road what we see now? Um, for the most part. If you want to see the remnants of that old road, if you go north of town to what's called, it's called Carrier's Corner, you know, where the, the old highway takes off and makes a, an L sort of going north of town, um, just north of the Episcopal Church, if you go up that way, and then the road veers a little bit to the west, there's a, a turn off to the east there. If you take that old road, that's the old highway. Uh, and there's still some segments of that concrete highway in there. Wow. But they straightened it out in, in the 1960s uh, and, and made it what it is today. 
Um, the other fascinating thing, and I think it's an extension of building that road, is Vashon is the only island in Puget Sound that the major commercial center is not on the water. I mean, think oh, about it. Yeah. Bainbridge, Winslow's on the water. Uh, Orcas, West Sound's on the water. San Juan Island, Friday Harbor's on the water. I mean, right down the line, every island in Puget Sound, the major city is on the water. And Vashon's major city was going to be Burton. Uh, Burton was the big center of the island. It was the first big commercial center on the island. It had a college, it had a church, it had college. a college. Yeah, Vashon College, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, Burton was going to be the happening place. And then all of a sudden, Seattle eclipses Tacoma in the late 1890s, early 1900s, becomes the major city, county paves the highway up to the north end. It's easy to get to, to Seattle. And so all of a sudden, Vashon, which was a growing commercial center, all of a sudden blossoms and Burton dies. I mean, Burton had more buildings and stores in, in 1910 than it does today. Wow. <laughs> so it's just sort of like, it's those sort of vagaries of history. And it's, that's sort of like the chance, you know, who would have thought that paving a highway and Seattle being the gateway to the Yukon and, and the gold rushes would change the future of Ashon, but it did. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. And do you have any favorite sort of historical sites here on Vashon? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, Point Robinson is just mm. a, an incredible place to go. And KVI Beach, um, not so much as a historical site, but a historical ecological site. Because when you visit KVI Beach and you visit Point Robinson, Point Robinson, before they built the lighthouse and before they filled it in, looked just like KVI Beach. It was a, it's a large salt marsh that was gradually dammed off and turned into fresh water to run the steam generators for the, for the foghorns and then gradually filled in to create what's there today. Uh, KVI, it's a historical site ecologically, it's the last large remaining saltwater marsh in central Puget Sound. They've really? all been filled in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so it's a very precious site here on the island. And then it has its own interesting history with the building of the radio tower and KVI radio in the late 30s became the first sort of radio station they, they discovered and, and KVI sort of pioneered it, that Vashon was, the signal from Vashon with Tall Tower could reach everything in central Puget Sound. Mm. And so, boom, all of a sudden, between 1938 and 1941, all the big radio stations built transmitters and, and towers here on Vashon. So you have KVI, and you have Como, and you have Cairo, and you have King. Boom. All were here on Vashon. <laughs> and they all had relatively large studio buildings. They could do broadcasts from here. They had they had studios like this, you know, like what we're sitting in right now. Fascinating. Those are two favorite sites. But I also like, I love going around the island by water. And, you know, if you have a boat, you can do that yourself. If you don't, um, the museum every year does a Virginia Five tour around the island. And it is a fascinating way to see the island because you see so much that you can't see from the land. I mean, there's all these long driveways and roads that go down and just dead end of the water, and you can't see much. But when you're on the water looking back at the island, you really get a sense of how rich and diverse the shorelines of Ashon are. 
Um, And how much of it, I mean, a lot of it's been armored and and bulkheaded, but a lot of it hasn't. Uh, And it's, uh, you know, we have the, we have the most, we have the largest percentage of unarmored beaches in King County or on Vashon, uh, because you think about King County from sort of Everett South down to Tacoma. I mean, all those beaches have been bulkheaded yeah, for the most part, absolutely. you know, and Vashon, we, we've got probably half or more that's not bulkheaded. So, so it's fascinating. Yeah. And then you see these, everything from little you know, cabins, you know, sort of just hanging on the side of the island to sort of McMansions, you know, selling for $20 million. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, so this fascinating way to see the island. Yeah, I had been coming to Vashon for probably 10 years before I ever Mm -hmm. saw it from water, besides the ferry, of course, but to actually go on a smaller boat and go in all these nooks and crannies. Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool. It's really fascinating. It's a great place, right? Yeah. Yeah. And veering back to Bruce's Mm -hmm. history, Mm -hmm. um, so your time here on Vashon, you've Mm -hmm. either written or co-written a couple books on Vashon's history. How else have you been able to make a living for yourself here on Vashon? Well, I made a living by commuting. Uh. <laughs> I taught at Green, Green River College and taught history, taught film history there. So, But it also, um, like any small school, you end up teaching more than just one thing. And, and so very early on in the 80s, I got into teaching Pacific Northwest history, regional history. Oh, cool. And, and that just sort of ignited my interest in, in Vashon because cause Vashon's story is the story of the Pacific Northwest and vice versa. I mean, you know, they're sort of intricately in, involved with one another and they, they have parallels that are just what happens in the region affects Vashon and, and Vashon becomes a reflection of the region. So so it really got me started. And in 2000, I had a sabbatical year. And I, I took that year and just basically started uh, what I called the, at that time, still going now, the Vashon History Project, just a research project to start to start writing a book on Vashon. It took me 15 years to get the brief history out. But uh, in 2011, we did the, the photo history. But it just it started that process of starting put together all the bits and pieces to be able to tell the Vashon story. You have a lot of interests that we mm-hmm, talked about sure. sailing. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, so I live in the Burton area, and I've noticed a sign with your name on it saying <laughs> sailing program. Are right. you, is that Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, we, we, we started that program back in the early 90s. Because okay. actually the Yacht Club had done a sailing program back in the 70s uh, when I first got here, and a number of us built uh, El Toros, which are fire, uh, plywood, sort of little prams okay. that you can build at home. And so we had a building project and a lot of the families built them so the kids could sail. And so we've done some of that back in the 70s. But in the 90s, a couple of fellows at the Yacht Club bought JY15 sailboats, fiberglass, you know, sort of fail, sailboats. And, and we started a sailing program. And that program is just, today, it's just it's an amazing program to watch kids out there learning to sail. And over, what, almost 25 years or so, we've put hundreds and hundreds of kids through sailing program. And, and most people think about it, well, it's a kid's program. And it is, but to me, one of the most significant parts of it is we not only teach kids how to be around the water and how to sail, but we hire basically high school kids to be instructors. 
So when they're 14 or 15, they become apprentice instructors. They work for a couple of years as an apprentice. At 16, they can be certified as a U.S. sale instructor. Uh, and they, they have, to my mind, one of the best summer jobs on Vashon. I mean, I bet. You, you, make, you make a decent income. You're on the water. You're teaching kids how to sail. And when you go off to college, you're a certified sailing instructor. You can become a sailing instructor at the college you go to. So, I mean, that's to me as important as the little kids sailing program, you know, sort of the beginners and the intermediates. It's the the training of instructors. I mean, they learn work habits. They learn to show up on time. They learn the responsibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got you got 20 little kids out there in sailboats. You can't be lollygagging around. You got to know where everybody is, you know, because, I mean, there's an inherent danger of being on the water. I mean, you got them all in life jackets and things like that, but boats tip over, kids go in the water. You know, as an instructor, you got to be on top of it. And Absolutely. So, so it's, to me, it's sort of a, a, a two-part program, one, teaching kids how to sail, but also teaching instructors how to be responsible adults. And so it's been very satisfying in that sense. So, Bruce, what's on the horizon for you now? Like, how? What's your current work, and what's really inspiring you these days? <laughs> yeah, I'm inspired by a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, we live our lives in sort of silos, if you will. Um, and and I, a couple of things. I mean, the the sailing program, I still am active without support, you know, support role and maintenance, and sort of, you know, working with it and just, you know as a cheerleader and it, it's been a very successful program mm. we're, we're doing really well with it and, and it's it's one of those programs that i think don't happen enough on vashon where two organizations come together so it's the park district and the yacht club and they couldn't do it without each other i mean the park district has all the infrastructure to do registration and insurance and sort of hire people and all that stuff the yacht club has the facilities and the boats but neither one could do it without the other. And so it's a real collaboration. And I see that as an earmark for things that can happen on Vashon. And, and we've been trying to do that at the museum. I work another sort of silo I live in is at the museum. Um, we're trying to do that in a number of ways. Uh, we've done the exhibit with the native people where we work closely with the Puyallup tribe. Uh, we did the exhibit uh, Joy and Heartache on the Japanese-American uh, experience on Vashon, uh, really worked with the Japanese-American community. I was listening to your in- interview with Tina Turner. I'm t- Tina. <laughs> Tina. Tina Turner, yes. I'm well, sure Tina would, she's my, wouldn't yeah, mind she's, that. She's, in my mind, she's <laughs> Tina Turner, Tina Shattuck. Uh, and she talked a bit about that. I mean, it's a small 50 or 60 people, Japanese community on Vashon that mostly didn't know each other until we started to put that exhibit together and it pulled that community together in some interesting ways. And the exhibit that's up right now, the LGBTQ exhibit, was just an incredible experience, and it's ongoing. I mean, it's, there's there's going to be things going on all year. You had Meredith Monadea on talking about helping to put together the film program that's going on, but uh, there's going to be performances, there's going to be uh, panel discussions, there's going to be stuff going on all, all through into May of next year uh, centered around that exhibit. And it's a fascinating thing with that with that community on Vashon in, in the 80s, late 80s and 90s, it really pulled together as a very strong self-identified community. Mm. Uh, and 
lots of activities. I mean, uh, they they started auctions on Vashon, you know, uh, and they would have a New Year's Eve party, uh, you know, just incredible to go to. Um, and then by the 2000s, the community had become so integrated into the general community that it didn't need that identification. And and what's happened with this exhibit, it's regenerized, uh, regenerated that interest in community, LGBT community as a community. Uh, and the situation's very different now than it was 30, 40 years ago. Um, you know, a lot more young people out coming out and, and transitioning and, and transgender people that were just not on the scene or not seen. Uh, they're certainly there, but, you know, very suppressed, you know, yeah. 40 years ago. So that's been very exciting. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we're working on this exhibit, The Natural History of Vashon, Wild Wonder, with the Vashon Nature Center and the Land Trust. And that's going to be, I mean, we're just telling the, the, the natural history of Vashon, so all the ecosystems and the interrelationships and, and the human impact on them. And so, uh, and then the museum is looking at, over the next two to three years, redoing the permanent exhibit, sort of trying to retell the, the story of Vashon. Um, when the museum opened in, what, 2004 or five. You know, the exhibit that's there now, we've, we tweaked it here and there, but it, it really needs to be updated and made more contemporary and use the technologies that are available. And then another big silo I live in is, is sort of writing, trying to write. And, and these books, um, you know, you, you never have enough time to write what you want to write. <laughs> but but the brief history was, was came out in 2016, which is already almost four years ago. It's five yeah. years ago that we went, went to the editors. You know, so Vashon has changed dramatically in the last five years. And so I'm really looking at sort of updating the last part of that uh, from the 1980s on because we, we're starting to get some perspective on it. We're starting to see how the impact, I talk a little bit about gentrification, but you're really starting to see how gentrification is changing the island, how, you know, the, the growth in Seattle and Tacoma is really impacting the island. Uh, so I want to do a revision of that. I'm, I'm working on a, for the Virginia Five tour, um, a, a sort of a shoreline guide to Vashon so that um, you can have a book that takes you around the island and, and all the interesting things that you see and all the native village sites and all the old docks and all the old communities telling the stories of them. So you have your self, a sort of a self-guide to the island. And then I'm working on another book um, that's, it, it's a bit of a struggle because the, the stories are, you, you have to sort of scratch them out a little bit more. But it seems to me that particularly into the, well, even up to today, but I'll probably end it in the 70s or 80s. But a book about the women who have shaped Vashon, because there have been strong women leaders on Vashon in the past. And, and of course, their stories are often underplayed. You know, the pioneer women, all you hear about are the heroic men out on the frontier. But it's really the women who are keeping the home together and raising the children and sort of providing the civilization, if you will. Uh, and there's just some fascinating stories out there. So I'm working on that. Um, and then my other final silo, if you will, is, is teaching. You know, I still do some teaching. We're trying to revive a course called Vashon 101 that we did at Vashon College. Uh, started in 2007 and ran it for about almost 10 years, but it's been about, it's been four or five years now since we've offered it. And we're going to try and do it next spring or next fall, a year from now, um, 
offer it again. It's a sort of an overview of Vashon from a number of different academic perspectives. Um, and what's Vashon College? Well, Vashon College, there was a college on Vashon from 1892 to 1910 in Burton, and it was actually just a liberal arts college, very similar to UPS, POU, you know, a number of those schools. There was a major fire in in 1910 that destroyed one of the buildings, and the college never sort of recovered from that. but in 2006, 2007, a group on the island pulled together what they called Vashon College, re, sort of re-energized the charter for the college um, and put it together as sort of a, not as a credit-granting institution, but as an adult education kind of thing. Cool. And one of the first things we did was Vashon 101, which is a course that sort of looks at, it, it looks at the geological history of Ashan, it looks at the ecological history and, and contemporary ecology, looks at the human history, it looks at the demography, how populations have changed on the island. And so it's a fascinating, I mean, it's just the people that have taken it just love it. Yeah, I'd and, love to take that yeah, one day. So, yeah, cool. Uh, Bruce, you are very busy. <laughs> well, and I also, and, and the one of my great loves is every winter, um, this will be my 20th year, I teach a study abroad program in Australia, New Zealand. And wow. so January through March, I'm in Australia for 10 weeks, for five weeks, and then New Zealand for five weeks, and taking American students to the University of Melbourne and Unitech University in Auckland. And it's just it's been incredible. I mean, it's sort of, I feel a little bit like the old uh, of seaman who had one life in Liverpool and one life in Boston, and they'd go back and forth. And <laughs> it's sort of like, I've got a whole group of friends. I've got colleagues I've worked with for 20 years in Australia, New Zealand. You know, they've been up here. We've been down there. You know, I've watched our kids grow up. And it's sort of like, I have this three-month world that I'm in, uh, in in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's just been great. It's been a really neat experience. Plus, it's it's like the sailing program. You get kids out of their element. You know, you get, you get people, you get young people overseas into a different environment, and it just opens their eyes to the world. And so it's very powerful sort of stuff. It's transformative. Uh, I can't tell you the number of parents I get emails or letters from or I, I run into after their students come back and they say, I don't know what happened, but the student I sent you was not the student that came back. Wow. You know, it, yeah. it changes people in very, very positive ways. So, so I feel very blessed. I've had a great sort of series of silos I can move around with. And so it's very good. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're, yeah, just making connections all over the place, us with our Yep. Histories here on exactly, Vashon, exactly. connecting to other cultures <laughs> across yep. the world. That's exactly. incredible. Yep, it's been good. Excellent. Well, Bruce, we end every show with mm-hmm. a fun lightning round of sure. questions just to get you, to know you even mm-hmm. better. Sure. Uh, so you're game for this, it sounds like. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> and the first question is, uh, the Seattle area is known for good beverages, whether mm-hmm. it's coffee, tea, wine, yes, beer, right. you name it. Do you have a favorite beverage here on Vashon? I do. Yeah, much to my wife's chagrin. She she wishes I would drink coffee because she just loves coffee. But I I grew up with parents who drank coffee all the time. And I love the smell of coffee and I hate the taste of it. So huh. I drink Earl Grey tea hot, sort of like Captain Picard of, of the Starship Enterprise. Um, I'm a tea drinker and I just love Earl Grey tea. So, And of course here, you know, 
Cafe Luna, you know, the Mango Mint, you know, Pollard's, the tea shop, they all have great Earl Grey teas. So, so lots of places to, to feed my addiction to tea. Nice. Yeah, that's the first. Nobody said Earl Grey. That's awesome. And if you're not at home or working, where can people most often find you on the island? I love being on the water at the Yacht Club. Uh, we have a trawler, 36-foot trawler named Vashona, after an old uh, Mosquito Fleet boat that was launched, built here on Vashon, built at the Martin Olick shipyard in Docton. Uh, it was launched in 1922 and served Quartermaster Harbor into the late 30s, and then it became a Grey Lines uh, sightseeing boat called the Sightseer and served Seattle uh, all through the 50s and 60s up through the World's Fair. And then it went went down to the Columbia River and actually was wrecked on a sandbar in, in the wow. Columbia River, but uh, but a great old boat. So when we bought this trawler, we named her Vashona after Beautiful. the Vashona. So, and it's just, I mean, a day on the water beats a day doing anything else. <laughs> Even a bad day on the water is better than a good day in an office, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, you're living in the perfect place. And uh, so you've been on Vashon for a while, but do you have any pet peeves about island living? No, I don't. I wouldn't say I have pet peeves. I mean, it's sort of like it's like everything living on an island. You're you're connected in interesting ways and there's sort of frustrations. I mean, the ferries, you know, the four-way stop, who goes first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all, all sort of, all sort of that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I think it's interesting. I mean, um, I guess if I, I wouldn't call it a peeve, but what I find fascinating is Vashon Islanders think we're very unique and in many ways we are. I mean, Vashon's a very interesting place, uh, and, and it's a confluence of a number of things that sort of creates what what I like to think of as just the magical isle of Vashon. I mean, it really is a very magical place. Um, but at the same time, it, it can be self-satisfied in many ways. Uh, you know, we're not very diverse. Uh, we're, what, 90% white. Uh, there's not a tremendous amount of economic diversity, and that's becoming even less as housing prices and living costs go up. So it's a, it is a magical place, but it's a magical place that needs some work. Definitely. And do you have a favorite Vashon Island tradition? Oh, many, many, many. <laughs> One coming up in a couple of weeks is the Halloween thing when they close down Main Street. And that's just great. And I mean, it's uh, uh, for a sort of a dispersed rural communities or sort of semi-rural community like Vashon. It really provides a gathering place. And then, of course, the pumpkins down at uh, the roastery, you know, uh, the Strawberry Festival is always a great kick, you know. Um, whenever ice is up, you know, people come out and skate on, on Fisher Pond. Uh, you know, so there's a number of things like that. And the, and just living, we, we live on the bluff right above KVI Beach, so I feel very blessed. So I watch KVI Beach all the time. You know, I see it changing with the seasons, and I see the people and the dogs and, and sort of the birds and the and the seals and the otters. And, I mean, it's just one of those very interesting kinds of things to watch. Um, so, yeah, just sitting sitting in my bedroom, looking, waking up in the morning and looking out at KVI mm-hmm. Beach or sitting on the deck watching KVI Beach, uh, those are very favorite kinds of things. So I feel very blessed 
to be where I am and live where I am and do the kinds of things I do. I mean, it's just very, very satisfying work. Beautiful. And lastly, very important, where can people find you to learn more about you and your work? Well, the, the Heritage Museum and the Heritage Museum site, uh, VashonHeritage.org is one place. Um, I have a website that I started when I did the sabbatical back in 2000. It's sort of a research site. It's called VashonHistory.com. So VashonHistory, all one word, dot com. And it has... It has a whole section. We've digitized and, and summarized a number of the newspapers and are in the process of doing that with, with all the newspapers on Vashon. Um, it's got a number of the writings I've done for the Beachcomber and that, that kind of thing, and, and others have done. Um, it's got a whole, sense, uh, whole section on the census project that we did back in 2011-12, where we sort of digitized all the Vashon census. So you can go in and you can can look up family names, you can look up, up occupations, I mean, it's that kind of thing. And then we have a section that we're gradually populating, along with Friends of Mukai of the Japanese presence on Vashon. So... Um, so it's it's a work in progress like everything, right? <laughs> but it's great fun. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Bruce. You're welcome. It's been great. And thank you all for listening. Again, this is Inspired Island on Voice of Vashon, KVSH LP 101.9 FM. Until next time, stay inspired.